Welcome to the 74th episode of the Headkick KO podcast. Today, we are here to discuss UFC London. And once we are done with that, we are going to take a look at UFC 279 and UFC 280. We had quite a few fight announcements for those two cards. So we're going to talk about all the fights the UFC has booked within the last week. And that's going to be the last thing we talk about today. I will be back on Thursday or Friday with a preview for UFC 277. So for this episode, like I said, we're just going to stick to UFC London and we're going to stick to some fight announcements. So let's get started right at the main event of UFC London. Obviously, this was not the main event that many people were hoping for or anybody was hoping for, I should say. And in all honesty, I was obviously surprised that two weeks in a row we got an injury and it is very unfortunate. And this one looked to be a little bit more serious than Brian Ortega's. Um, I I really don't have a lot to say in regards to the injury. It's just an unlucky injury for Tom Aspinall, and there really wasn't much. There wasn't much he could do about it. Um, I mean, I don't really have much to say. It's an unfortunate injury. It looks to be pretty serious. I just hope Tom Aspinall can recover because I think he has a lot of potential in that heavyweight division. So I hope he can return, and I hope he can return at full strength. I think he's going to be out for a long period of time, so I'm not even going to bother talking about who Tom Aspinall should fight next. Um, He needs to get healthy, and that is his first priority, I imagine. For Curtis Blades, however, he is going to have to fight someone, and he's going to have to fight someone soon, I imagine. And when I'm looking at the heavyweight rankings, there isn't really a lot that makes sense for Curtis Blades. The only real option for him, I I believe at least, is to face the winner or loser of Surreal Gan versus Tai Tuivasa. I think that depending on how that fight goes and how that division goes, I think you can make make a legitimate case that he fights either of those guys, depending on like I said, depending on what happens. But if John Jones decides that um, he's going to fight Stipe Miocic, and if they do that fight then the winner of that fight will be in line for a title. So it would make sense for the winner of Tuivasa and Surreal Gan to fight Curtis Blades for a number one contender's bout after the winner of Stipe and Jones. So I think that would make a level of sense. That's one scenario where um, Curtis Blades would fight the winner of that fight. And if you're looking for a scenario where he may fight the loser, um, if Tai Tuivasa were to knock out Surreal Gan in emphatic fashion, and really cement himself as a title contender, I think he would um, could possibly get himself a title shot with a big-time performance that would leave Curtis to fight uh, Surreal Gan. So like I said, I'm not really going to go into too many scenarios as to what would result in Curtis fighting either guy, but I think that those are two plausible scenarios that um, could result in Curtis fighting either of those guys. Obviously, we're just going to have to wait and see exactly what happens, and we're going to have to see how the top of this division plays out. But for now, it looks like Curtis Blades will be fighting Surreal Gan or Tai Tuivasa. Now, in the co-main event of UFC London, we saw Jack Hermanson and Chris Curtis. 
Um, I was pretty surprised by this fight. I was surprised on, on both ends. I picked Chris Curtis in this one. I thought he would be able to defend the takedowns, and I thought he would be able to outstrike Jack Hermanson. Um, however, Jack Hermanson didn't even, I think he attempted two or three takedowns, but for the most part, he did a really good job on the feet. Chris Curtis is a big-time boxer, and Jack Hermanson did a good job of establishing the range throughout the majority of this fight. He kept it at a kickboxing distance, really limited Curtis's ability to get his boxing going. Meanwhile, Hermanson is throwing a lot of kicks, kicking the leg, kicking the body, kicked the head a couple times. So he was doing a really good job mixing up to all three levels and using his kicks to maintain a good distance for that type of fight. And for Curtis, I wish he would have went to the head a little bit more. I know he's great at attacking to the body and everything, but for the most part, he um, he really kept his attack limited to the body. I would have liked to see him come up and, and try and land some some big blows to the head, but um, that's just a small small detail there. For Jack Hermanson, moving forward now, this division is starting to play out a little bit more. We're seeing so, some fights go down in the books. However, when you're looking at these rankings, I don't think that Jack Hermanson is going to get a name that is above him in those rankings unless he waits a while. Um, just looking right now, he's got Sean Strickland ahead of him, who he's already lost to. Um, Paulo Costa is, that fight, Paulo Costa's already booked, actually. Alex Pereira gonna fight Izzy, and I don't see him working his way all the way into the top four. So, I imagine that Jack Hermanson is likely going to be looking at a fight like Andre Muniz, or uh, Nazardin Imavov, or someone like that, who is a very good fighter and deserves a crack at fighting someone in the top 10. So I think that that is likely the direction the UFC goes with Jack Hermanson. For Chris Curtis, I think he's going to keep fighting some unranked guys, obviously. But um, I still think he has a good amount of potential in this heavyweight division, or excuse me, in this middleweight division. I just don't imagine that, um, I just don't think he's reached his potential quite yet. I still think he's a very good fighter, and I think he should be sitting just outside of those top 15 um, rankings. When I'm looking at names, I think a fight with Edmund Shabazian would be a potential fight that um, sounds interesting. Christoph Jokov, um, Bruno Silva, so those are just some of the names that um, I like for Chris Curtis moving forward. Now, um, continuing on with UFC London. We had Patty Piblet go out there and submit Jordan Levitt. Now, um, this fight was interesting because both of these guys are not really tremendous strikers. And Jordan Levitt is a great grappler. And this was one of the few fights that um, Patty can run into where he's not going to have a big time grappling advantage. And especially at the current stage he's at, there's not, there aren't a lot of guys like Jordan Levitt this far outside of those lightweight rankings. A lot of the other great grapplers in the lightweight division are ranked or are just outside those rankings. So um, I kind of thought this fight was going to play out a lot on the feet, and in all honesty, that didn't really happen. We saw a lot of cage control, and we saw a lot of clinch work from Jordan Levitt, and we saw Pimblet 
uh, attacks from submissions while he had opportunities. And I thought Patty lost the first round pretty soundly. And heading into that second round, it looked like it was going to be a similar story. However, Patty was able to land a big-time knee with his back up against the cage. That was a really nice knee that he landed there. I, I liked how he landed that because a lot of times um, we see guys who, who are not very offensive from that position. But Patty uh, threat, started to threaten with a choke. It was never a real big threat, but it was enough to make Levitt work the hands. And then Patty comes upstairs with the knee. Looks like he really hurt Jordan. He got Jordan um, to fall to the ground. And then from there, Patty started working his grappling. And he did a really good job of trapping the arm of Levitt in that body triangle. Um, we really don't see that that often either. So I think this fight is a good example of Petty Pimblett and his unusual style and some of his unusual tendencies and how he can use that to his advantage. So I think this fight is a great example of that. But um, most importantly, when we saw Petty Pimblett um, with that arm arm locked in that arm triangle it was only a matter of time before he found that second round submission now for patty i think it's safe to say that patty is still a ways away from fighting ranked competition in this lightweight division there's a lot of very very good fighters at lightweight and i don't think the ufc is is in too big of a rush to get patty anywhere close some of some of the anywhere close to some of these names in this lightweight division so um, when I'm looking at some possibilities I think they're gonna keep in a similar range of fighter and I, I'm not even sure that I'm gonna go through and, and give you names because at this point in the audience it honestly is a, a shot in the dark trying to determine who they give Patty. On one hand, I could see them giving Patty like um, an older veteran who he can add to his resume. I could see them giving Patty a younger guy who is starting to come up like a Jordan Levitt. I could see them giving Patty a really good striker who doesn't necessarily have the best grappling and grappling defenses. I could see them giving Patty someone who is a really good grappler like Jordan Levitt, but doesn't have it as much on the feet. So I can see the UFC going a lot of directions here with Patty moving forward. So I don't really think there is a reason to just kind of scroll through those rankings and tell you who I think he should be fighting. Moving on, we saw Nikita Kurlov defeat Alexander Gustafsson by knockout in the first round. Now, um, this was a very good performance by Nikita Kurlov, and when you're facing a guy like Alexander Gustafsson, and this is not about Gustafsson's skill itself, but more about what Gustafsson has been through. Gustafsson has retired once already, and he's been, um, his heart has been in question, where people are unsure of why he's still fighting, um, if he still loves the sport, will he quit? if you drag him into deep waters, things like this were some of the questions we were seeing about Alexander Gustafsson. So for Nikita Kurlov, he came out there and he pressured Alexander, and Alexander Gustafsson very, very early. And very he, he did that with a lot of powerful striking. And I think that did a good job of setting the tone and not letting, he didn't let Alexander Gustafsson get comfortable, which I think really helped him in this fight. 
if you let Gustafson stay in that fight longer and let him get more acclimated to the octagon, because he really doesn't have a lot of fight time. Um, since his retirement in 2019, um, he had the one fight against Fabrizio Verdum. I think that fight ended in the first or second round. So he doesn't have a lot of time, really, in the octagon. So he did a good job of not letting Gustafson get acclimated again. And it looked like Gustafson was never really never really found his footing in that fight, and that is a credit to Nikita Kurlov and his game plan coming in. For Gustafsson, um, it looks like his chin is a little bit wavery at this point. Um, he got put down a couple times. That's never great to see, especially from someone who has the concerns that we just discussed. So... I think it is time for Gustafson to retire, and I, I don't really like saying that. I don't like telling fighters when it's time to retire and when it's not time to retire because I haven't spoke to Gustafson. I don't know where his heart's at. But regardless, I think from the performance that we saw in the octagon, um, I, I'm not sure that he should continue fighting because at one point in his career, Nikita Kurlov would just get demolished by Alexander Gustafson. When Alexander Gustafsson was in his prime, he would have easily, easily have beat Nikita Kurlov. But that is not the version of Alexander Gustafsson we saw. And um, I don't think we should continue to see Alexander Gustafsson in a UFC octagon. Now, for Nikita Kurlov, I think he is likely going to be fighting someone in that top 10 and I think Vulcan Uzdemir is not a bad name that's who he called out I know Vulcan Uzdemir got a good win over Paul Craig we'll talk about that in a second however even for Uzdemir when you're looking at that division you have Jamal Hill and Tiago Santos are booked for August 6th so we'll see the outcome of that fight relatively soon and maybe that'll change some things up but you know Dominic Reyes has been sitting out Anthony Smith and Megamed Ankalov are actually fighting this weekend too. So with actually, within the next two weeks, we're going to have some interesting matchmaking to do in the UFC light heavyweight division. For example, we will see the winner of Santos and Jamal Hill will likely be getting a top five fight. Megamed Ankalov versus Anthony Smith. The winner will be in an interesting spot, but the loser is also going to be in an interesting spot with some names like Dominic Reyes, Volkan Uzdemir, Nikita Kurlov. So there's really a lot of options here. And I think the Kurlov-Uzdemir fight makes a level of sense, but um, I'd like to see how this division plays out um, before I make really any calls on that. So I think we're going to have some discussions in terms of matchmaking this light heavyweight division in the near future once we get a couple more outcomes from the top 10 in that division. Now, continuing on, Molly McCann got herself another spinning elbow knockout over Hannah Goldie, and I was really impressed with Molly McCann, not just from the knockout, but from the fight itself. I think she did a good job of finding the range. You could tell earlier, early, early, in this fight, the fight didn't last very long, so, um, but early in this fight, it looked like she was struggling to exactly pinpoint the range. Um, Molly McCann usually has a large size disadvantage in her fights, but this fight, you know, both women were 5'4", so it's a pretty even size um, for, for McCann, but she's not used to fighting someone at that range, 
So I think for a second she was kind of feeling it out. But I think once she had a good feel of the range, it felt like she couldn't miss. She started to land some ones and some twos and some power shots. And she really started to connect. Um, before she landed the spinning elbow, she had Goldie Hurt with her hands. She throws the spinning elbow. Um, and that is the beginning of the end. So for McCann, I was really impressed. Very, very impressed. I think that she has a lot more power than a lot of these women at 125 pounds, and that hasn't really been the story of her career, so I don't know if we're looking at outliers or improvements here. Because when you look at the career of Molly McCann, she doesn't really have a lot of knockouts. This knockout power is a new found thing. Um, when you're looking... She's obviously got two spinning back elbows in a row, but before that, she had a decision win against Jin Young Kim, some decision losses, and then four, three division win, decision wins, excuse me, loss, um, and then her last fight in Cage Warriors was a TKO, some other KOs um, on the English regional scene. So... Um, thus far in the UFC, we haven't really seen Molly McCann be someone who is a knockout artist, but I think in the la in her last two fights, she's done a really good job of showing the power that she does have. I don't know if it is the fact that she is just now, um, beginning to land some of those more powerful strikes. That could certainly be a thing. So I'm interested to see what we're going to get from Molly McCann in the near future. I think she is going to be fighting a ranked opponent next or she'll be one fight out from that so she'll be fighting someone that's realistically ranked from like 16 to 20. Um, I think that is the state that she is in right now. Um, when you're looking at names I know she spoke of Miranda Maverick that fight makes a level of sense. I do like that fight. Um, we also have Joanne Wood, who has lost a couple in a row, that fight may make a level of sense as well. She called for Antonina Shevchenko. I'm not necessarily sure that that fight is going to happen. Um, my reasoning for that is those two seem like they are in a different spot in their careers, to be honest. Antonina Shevchenko is someone who was ranked but has dropped a couple of fights. Um, Miley McCann, on the other hand, is someone who... I. I don't know if she was ever ranked, but she is looking to, she's looking improved. So I'm not necessarily sure that that fight really makes sense. Um, regardless, maybe even a rematch with Julian Robertson. Um, they're both at similar stages in their career, but um, Robertson is fighting Melissa Gatto. So um, regardless... Um, I think you kind of get the level of fighter that I'm trying to pinpoint here for um, Miley McCann. Now, moving on. We um, Last fight on the main card was Vulcan Ozdemir and Paul Craig. Um, this was the type of Paul Craig fight that took place, but Paul Craig was never able to get that submission. Um, and that is the danger of playing jujitsu off your back. If it works, you look tremendous. But if it does not work, you don't look all that great. So for Paul Craig, um, 15 minutes went off the board and he was just never able to find that submission. 
and as a result, he did not look great. Volkan Uzdemir, I don't really um, have much to say about. I think he did a good job at defending the jiu-jitsu of Paul Craig. And then in the third round, I think it became clear to him that, hey, I can land at, at will here on the feet. I wish that pace that we saw in the third round um, was there in the first round. Maybe he could have got a finish. But once he realized that, hey, I can pretty much, I can pretty much hit Paul Craig whenever I'd like, um, he started to pick up the offensive output, and things went well for him. So like I said, I'm not really going to go in-depth. I'm matchmaking those two um, because I think those two are both going to be fighting someone, um, one of the aforementioned guys that um, is booked to fight right now. So we'll talk about that um, in a couple weeks when we see some more fights off the board. Now, let's do a quicker run of these prelims. Um, to start off, Lovett Klein defeated Mason Jones. Very, very strong performance from Lovett Klein. I really like Mason Jones. I think he's a really good fighter. So for Klein to come in here and beat him pretty soundly, I was very impressed with that. Mark Casey showed again that he has improved his wrestling, which some people don't like because they want him want to see him use his flashy striking. I don't mind it. I just wish he would threaten some submissions or threaten some strikes a little bit more while he's in top position. I think that um, for someone who is traditionally a kickboxer, I think that that will come in the near future. Um, but first, you have to establish the ability to get takedowns and the ability to control your opponent. From there, you can start adding submission attempts and ground and pound. So I think those are both things that we will see in the future from Mark D. Casey. But regardless, this was a good performance. Nathaniel Wood moved up, moved up to 145 pounds and looked very good against Charles Rosa. Um, Wood in this fight landed a lot of good shots with his hands, but he did a great job kicking the leg of Charles Rosa. Um, for There were a couple times there where I thought he was going to get a finish with leg kicks. So for Nathaniel Wood, I think he looks really good at 145 pounds. I think he found his division. And I think um, Charles Rosa is a very good fighter. So Nathaniel Wood should be fighting a pretty legitimate opponent at featherweight next. I don't think it will be in the rankings. Um, I think it will be someone just outside, but I think he will get a talented fighter. Jonathan Fier Pierce excuse me, fought Makwan Amirakani, and Makwan Amirakani gassed out, and Pierce was able to get a win off the back of that. Um, nothing against Jonathan Pierce, except for the fact that he calls himself JSP. Seems a little goofy to me, but um, I'll let him do him. Muhammad Mukayev went out there and got a really good decision win against Charles Johnson. He did a really good job implementing his wrestling game plan. Very similar situation to Dia Casey in a way where we didn't see a lot of strikes or submission attempts from Mukayev. But I think it is also important to remember that Charles Johnson was training with Olympic-level wrestlers. He was very prepared for this bout, and I think that showed. Um, I think it's nice to also mention that Muhammad Mukayev was very, very active with attempting takedowns. He wasn't just, you know... He wasn't just getting one takedown and laying in position. He, he attempted a lot, a lot of takedowns. So he was being very, very active. It just wasn't in the way that people like to see. He's still 21 years old, so I think 
he's only going to get better from here. So um, I'm not any further out on Mokayev than other people. I think this was a very good performance, but I think some people are left with a little bit of a bad taste in their mouth. I think that's just a scenario of people expecting Mokayev to go out there and get a first-round finish, and it doesn't happen, and people are left going, oh, this guy's supposed to be great. Why didn't he get a finish? I think it's that level of thing. But I think he is still a tremendous fighter. Um, quickly, on these last three, we saw decisions in all three of them. Very, I don't want to say there were one-sided fights. I don't want to cast all of them. But, you know, I don't necessarily think there was anything too crazy going on in these three fights. So I think we're just going to uh, skip over those last three fights. And now that we are done talking about UFC London... We are going to move on to discuss the fights that were booked within the last week. I have one, two, three, four, five, six fights to discuss, two of which will take place at UFC 279. We will start with those, and then we will move on to UFC 280. Now, to start it off, Nate Diaz will fight his last fight in the UFC against Hamzat Chumayev at UFC 279 that will headline the pay-per-view. I know a lot of people are surprised about this fight. I'm really not surprised that this fight was booked at all. When you look at what the UFC commonly does in these scenarios, the UFC will the UFC will um, largely look to build up their top prospect as they bring someone else down. So Nate Diaz is walking out the door. And they're looking to build the name of Hamzat Chumayev as Nate Diaz walks out the door. I'm not surprised. Am I disappointed? Yes. I think it would have. I think it's. I think it's. You know, more respectful to, you know, give someone like Diaz a. You know, I don't want to say a friend. I don't. I don't know how I want to word this. Like, you don't want to give him an easy fight. Um, I think maybe a fan favorite fight is maybe the type of fight that I'm looking for or another veteran or a fight that he's asking for. They gave him literally the toughest fight that they could possibly give him at this stage in his career. So I am quite surprised in a way. Like I said, I, I could see the writing on the wall, but um, I am a little disappointed that it came to fruition. But what are you going to do? The other fight on UFC 279 is Johnny Walker versus Ian Kutelaba. Now, this fight is not the best fight that we have to talk about today, but I do think it makes a level of sense and should provide an, an entertaining fight on UFC 279. Now, we have four fights, like I said, that were announced for UFC 280. This does not count Charles Oliveira versus Islam Makhlchev. Um We were... I've got my timelines mixed up here. Were we off last week? I don't remember. I don't remember if we talked about this fight last that fight last week or not, but that fight was booked um, last week, last Saturday. The new fights that we have to discuss, the first one will be the co-main event. It is TJ Dillashaw versus Aljamain Sterling. That will take place at UFC 280. The previous announcement was that it would take place at UFC 279. However, with Nate and Chimaev being added to that card, um, you can't really do both of those. One needs to headline the pay-per-view, and you can't have the title fight as the co-main. And I don't think the UFC would want Nate as the co-main um, in a fight where it's going to be, you know, 
his walkaway fight, so they're probably anticipating that that does well from a pay-per-view standpoint with him as the headliner. So um, they made the decision to move Sterling and TJ to U- UFC 280 to be the co-main. That now has two great title fights that makes that card really strong. However, they proceeded to add Sean O'Malley and Piotr Jan to this card. This fight I was very, very surprised about, but when I thought more about it, it made more sense. Um, For Sean O'Malley, he has done a really good job of promoting himself and getting himself in this position. Um, I'm not super high on Sean after his last performance. It's not that I'm low on him, but I I just don't think he's ready to go in there and fight with someone like Piotr Jan. I would have liked to see him take a more reasonable rise through those rankings where he beats someone in the top 10, like a Pedro Munoz, maybe someone just outside, like a Frankie Edgar, and then he moves on to fight someone in that top five, and then he gets a title shot. I think it's just a little bit early to throw him in there with the number one ranked bantamweight and someone in Piotr Jan who is a very skilled fighter and is one of the best non-champions in the sport. So I think it's very risky making that fight. For Piotr Jan, a lot of people are probably surprised that Piotr was willing to fight someone like Sean, but it does make a lot of sense. Um, Number one, Piotr has already lost to the champion twice. Technically, he has two losses on his record to the champion. So I'm not sure how soon the UFC would like to run that fight back. So I imagine by what other fighters have done in, in Piotr Jan's shoes, he needs two to three fights, depending on what those fights look like, to get back to the title shot. And making the first one against Sean O'Malley makes sense. Uh, you can build your name a little bit, but if you're Piotr Jan, a fight with Sean O'Malley is probably less scary to you than a fight with someone like Marab, who could go and take you down and really look to exploit that game plan. And from there, honestly, the rest of that division is booked up. And even Marab is booked up, but that was just someone for who, for example, could probably give Jan more trouble than O'Malley. But when you're looking at the rest of that division, Piotr Jan is ranked first, TJ number two, booked. Jose Aldo number three, booked also have already fought Jan, Piotr Jan. Um, Corey Sanhagen, number four, booked. Marlon Vera, five, booked. Marab, number six, booked. So he would have had to go all the way down to number seven to fight Rob Font. Um, and I'm not sure that Rob Font is ready to fight right now after the um, damage that he accrued in his last fight. And if you want to go further down than that, you've got Dominic Cruz at eight, booked. Pedro Munoz at nine. That fight obviously isn't happening. So if you're going to fight someone that far down in the rankings, you might as well go all the way down to 13 to take on the biggest name rather than fighting someone like Rob Font. Um, So I understand what he's doing if he wants to stay active and get a fight. Now, the other thing this does is I imagine for Piotr Jan, the date was very important here. This is UFC 280, as I just said. Eljamain Sterling and TJ Dillashaw will be the co-main event. If something happens in that fight, Piotr Jan will be the one to fill in. If TJ Dillashaw has to pull out of that fight, or even Aljamain, if either guy has to pull out, Piotr Jan will probably step in and fight the other guy. So for example, if TJ pulls out, Piotr Jan will likely fill in and fight for the title. If Eljo pulls out, he will likely fight TJ for an interim title. So 
I I and I know a lot of people wouldn't like the interim title being there, but the UFC would do that because it's Aljamain Sterling. I don't think they'd do that to a lot of other fighters in that scenario, but based off Aljamain Sterling and the promotion's relationship with him, um, I think that the UFC would be willing to put an interim title belt on the line for that fight. So not only does Jan get an opportunity against one of the bigger names in the sport, he also gets an opportunity to fill in on a date that he was already training for. So it does make a lot of sense in both of those um, situations and circumstances. Also added to UFC 280, we saw Benil Daryush accept the fight against Matush Gamrat. Um, this is probably the fight that I was, you know, I had the most reaction to because this was the fight, this was a fight that I really, really wanted. I don't know how much I expressed that on this podcast, um, but um, after that game route fight, I, I, you know, we watched, I watched that on a Saturday and I recorded the podcast on a Sunday and then throughout the week after in the following times, I really started to like the idea of Benil Daryush fighting Matush Gamera. And we saw that fight get booked, and I did not think they were going to book this fight. I think it makes a lot of sense for both of these guys. Um, Benil Daryush is not going to fight someone in the top five of those rankings right now. They just aren't going to book him up with Chandler or Poirier. Those guys will probably fight one another. That's just probably not the direction that the UFC is looking to go with Benil Daryush. So he did the farts, the excuse me. He did the smart thing by fighting um, Matush Gamrat. Now, if he beats Matush Gamrat, he gets to fight someone in the top five, and he avoids one of the young up and comers in this division from jumping him in the rankings. So I think it does make a lot of sense for Benil Daryush and for Matush Gamrat. Obviously, makes sense. He gets he gets an opportunity against someone ranked ahead of him at lightweight. That is something that you really cannot turn down. So I think that makes a lot of sense for Matouche as well. And the last fight that was added to UFC 280 was Marina Rodriguez versus Amanda Lemos. I was pretty surprised at this fight as well, actually. I can barely speak today. I've stuttered 150 times so far. Um, but I was surprised at this fight. I really liked Amanda Lemos's last performance against Michelle Waterson Gomez, but I didn't think she was going to get ran all the way up to the number three three-ranked woman in this division. Um, I thought Marina Rodriguez was in a good position to fight for a title or fight in a title eliminator. I don't know if she beats Lemos. Does she get the title shot? I'm not really sure. However, I think this does make a level of sense in a way. At the same time, in Lemos's last opportunity against a top-five fighter, she did get choked out. Now, I do think Lamosh is a very good fighter, but it just seems a little premature to rush her in there with someone else in the top five. Usually, if you lose to someone in the top five, you have to do a little bit more work to get yourself another opportunity. So I'm surprised she got the opportunity this quickly, um, but I don't necessarily hate it. Um, like I said, I think Marina Rodriguez was in a good position to be a number one contender. I think the best way to run this division would have been Carla Esparza versus Zhang Wei Li, and then run Rose versus Marina Rodriguez. I think that would have made a level of sense. And if you still wanted to give Lemos a big time opportunity, you could have done a Lemos versus, um, well, I guess that wouldn't have worked out because you do have Dern and Yao Shaonan booked, but they could have done a Tisha Torres or Nina Nunes fight 
Um, I understand why those weren't the most appealing options. Um, but regardless, I, I just don't know that this was the best option for Marina Rodriguez based off some of the previous fights and some of the previous work that she's done. I think she deserved a, a little bit of a bigger opportunity in this spot. Now, like I said, that is all we had to discuss today. Pretty short episode, but um, I'm going to preview UFC 277 later this week. So make sure you tune in for that. But I don't really have anything else to discuss for UFC London, so I figured we'd wrap it up early. Like I said, make sure you tune in for UFC 277 on Friday. But most importantly, thank you for watching this episode of the Headkick KO Podcast. Goodbye. Oh! In front, take him in the face! Kevin Lee! With the ultimate oh!